0: I'd like to talk to you this morning a little bit about this idea of properly celebrating Christmas. You know, we all know, of course, that Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th. At least there's no real evidence that he was. But this is the day that historically his birth is celebrated. And nevertheless, this day, uh, a lot of non-Christians celebrate his birth as well, right? Uh, Ray Comfort, uh, many of you are familiar with, has a video at this time of year where he he shows in this video that one-third of the entire population of the world celebrates Christmas. That's two billion people. Now, certainly it doesn't take long for us to think through that a little bit and realize that if two billion people were born again or Earth wouldn't be in the shape that it's in, right? So, but nonetheless, that's, that's the impact that the baby in the manger had, that two billion people, even today, this many years later, celebrate that. So, you know, the question then becomes, how are we to celebrate Christmas? What, what is a genuine Christian way to observe the birth of Christ? You know, if we're honest with each other, many of us celebrate by watching football, right? Uh, Decorating our homes, visiting family and friends. And there's nothing wrong with these things. Just think through them a minute. Eating way too much food and buying and giving presents. That's all part of the way that we celebrate Christmas. Others, and I hope no Christians, celebrate by getting drunk. Many times that starts at the uh, office Christmas party, and it lasts until after New Year's Eve. And of course, that's a horrible way to celebrate Christmas. And I remember the first Christmas as a Christian that I'd had 37 Christmases as an unbeliever, and something was drastically different about my life the year that I had, had been saved by our Lord. I remember calling the guy that led me to Christ and telling him, Something's different. Something's going on inside of me that I can't explain. I was saved out of, as all people are that are saved, out of complete darkness, but I had no church upbringing. I had no biblical background. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I had nothing of an idea of what being a Christian was, which shows the miracles of Ephesians chapter two. Uh, You can read that the first uh, eight verses there on your own time, but God changed me and I and I couldn't explain what was going on inside of me. And so I called the guy said, man, what in the world is happening to me? And, And you know, I'm not a mystical, sentimental, soppy kind of guy, but I was absolutely overwhelmed that year with something and he answered me i'll never forget what he said he told me he said well tim for the first christmas in your life you're indwelt with the holy spirit of god and and that that spirit that lives in you is showing you the truths of the sermons that you're hearing the truths of these great carols that we sing Those were manifesting in my heart in a way that they never had before. Well, I hadn't heard any Christmas sermons, but the songs, of course, I was um, surrounded by those. And and all of a sudden, it, it was having a profound impact in my life that I couldn't explain. So I knew from that first Christmas as a new believer that I needed to know how to properly celebrate this thing we call Christmas. So now the big question for me was how? How should I? How should we as Christians, celebrate Christmas. Well, before we turn to our, te- our text this morning, let me say first that by far, the best way to celebrate Christmas is by c- becoming a Christian if you aren't one. If you've never done that, if you have never accepted the good news of this Savior that we celebrate at this time of the year, that's the best way to celebrate Christmas, right? In other words, the best way to celebrate Christmas is by becoming a follower of the one whose birth we are celebrating. And the Bible tells us that this birth of Jesus, it was unlike any other birth. I mean, thousands, millions of births had taken place, but this one was different, right? Because Jesus existed before the birth as the second person of the Godhead. No, None of us have ever existed prior to us being born into this world, but this child was, and he became a man. Not to provide a sentimental story for us to celebrate each year. Not to provide great musical compositions to be sung and celebrated. Those are all great, but that's not the reason he came. He came to grow to maturity so that he could then die as a sacrifice for our sins. So, to die for our sins and for our salvation. So, before anyone can really understand Christmas the right way, you must be born again. And to understand Christmas, it really is three simple propositions. One, I'm a sinner. Two, as a sinner, I need a Savior. Three, Jesus is that Savior. Isn't it wonderful the way the Lord has provided that simple way for us to come to know Him? So the best way, again, to celebrate Christmas is to believe on Jesus as your Savior. If you've never done that, then Christmas is a great time to do that. But now, assuming that you have believed on him and that you are a Christian, what can you do in order to celebrate Christmas the way that would glorify and honor God? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. The kids just sang about this. We're going to read it. Um, We're going to focus on verses 17 through 20. But for the context, let's read verses 1 through 20. Luke 2, 1 through 20. In the days, I'm sorry, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who had heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, Here, the means of celebrating Christmas in this passage, it suggests four of them. First, to tell others about it. Secondly, to wonder at the event itself. Thirdly, to ponder its meaning. And fourthly, to glorify and praise God for what was done there. So let's look at each of these. First, to tell others about it. So we're told in verse 17 that that after the shepherds had come to Bethlehem and had seen the infant Jesus, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, we can say that they became witnesses of the event. They became the first evangelists of the Christian era. Here they are, the very first evangelists. The reason they became witnesses is there was an event, right? A great event, and others really needed to hear of it. There's no doubt that the shepherds had something worth telling and think about what had happened to these guys. Here they are out in the fields of Bethlehem, middle of the night, watching over their sheep as they had for many nights before this, and that their fathers and generations past had done the same. Now, outside Bethlehem, these are rolling hills, if you've ever been there and seen them. And, and, and during this era, there weren't bright city lights. This would have really been dark out there. Perhaps it was a clear night with lots of stars shining in the sky. And the, the the idea, I think, for us to get the impact of this is think how dark it was. If you've ever been, I guess, like way up in the North Georgia mountains camping on top of a giant hill and, and there's no city lights, you know how many stars you see. And it, it's dark, but it's kind of bright at the same time as God illumines the sky with his creation. And as far as we know from scripture, these guys, they had no thought of spiritual things. Isn't that just like God? Here's a group of guys out in the middle of nowhere, dark night, doing their job, not thinking about God, and they were certainly not thinking about a miracle. So have you ever wondered, this was the, the kind of the wonder of me in, in looking at this text, is why God sent the angel to shepherds, and why that night? There have been... Several reasons suggested by theologians for the special role of the shepherds in this unique night. As far as jobs were concerned, shepherding was quite low on the ladder. Shepherds were generally considered untrustworthy people. So from this we can see that the most obvious implication is that the gospel came first to the social outcasts of Jesus' day. The, the more I think about this text, the more amazed I am of the way that God announced the birth of the Savior. You know, these, Christ is revealed to only a few witnesses, a few socially outcast shepherds in the middle of the night. Most people are sleeping, right? And again, though God had at his command many honorable people, many distinguished witnesses that he could have chosen... He passed them by and he chose shepherds, people of the most humble rank, people of no account to most man. Listen to what Calvin said about this. He wrote, quote, here, the reason and wisdom of the flesh must prove to be foolishness. And we must acknowledge that the foolishness of God excels all the wisdom that exists or appears to exist in the world. If then we desire to come to know Christ, let us not be ashamed to follow those, follow those whom the Lord in order to cast down the pride of the world has taken from among the dung of cattle to be our instructors, end quote. So these, this is who God chose. So when the angels had departed, the shepherds, after hearing this message, left their flocks, Key point there, I think you know. Now they're leaving their livelihood. They left them there. Uh, perhaps they had some sheep dogs that would stay with them and guard over them. And they went and they found Jesus precisely as the angels had indicated. Now, what do you think their reaction would have been at that time? You know, I think another level of um, wow. <laughs> you know, this is exactly as they said. Word for word, in front of our eyes, here it is, what they had been told, it coincided with their experience, and they couldn't resist speaking about it. These poor shepherds, they had seen God incarnate. They had heard the music of heaven. How in the world could they keep quiet? How how could they not tell everybody what they'd seen? They had to relate this marvelous experience. So, they, they, they begin to talk about how first one angel had addressed them, exactly what, what he had said about the child and the sign that it, that it had been given them, and how the first angel was followed by this host, this entire army of angels. And, and, and this heavenly host had joyfully proclaimed the coming of this Savior. These guys didn't hide anything. They told their story to Mary and Joseph and everybody that was around in the room, heard this story. And so thoroughly convinced were these guys of their story that that um, and, and convinced of its importance that they were willing to risk disbelief and ridicule. Now, that's a key point, is it not? Because they're already socially outcast, and I think they probably knew that, and yet they were willing to risk being called fools for telling a story like this. But you know what? We see this... Proclaimed throughout scripture of of good news being repeated by those that have been exposed to the good news. One example I'll read real quick is from Psalm 107. The psalmist writes, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right here, the congregation is called to confess on the covenant faithfulness of God, affirming his goodness. This is a, a very common liturgical formula throughout Scripture. It might be what we would call today a confession of faith, right? When somebody stands in the baptismal waters and they give a confession of faith. Well, not only did the shepherds have something to tell, as by the way, we do also, right? But the shepherds also knew of a world that needed to hear this message. The world of the shepherd's day was very much like our world today, with people not really interested in the things of God. I found a, a hymn that was written in 1896 that I I think really, uh, for me, as I read it, I, I just love the way it proclaimed, you know, a modern-day version, if you will, if 1896 was modern, to, um, uh, of what was happening here. The hymn is called, We've a Story to Tell to the Nations. I won't ask for a raise of hands of who have heard this, but I'm going to read it real quick. It says, and perhaps we can sing this one day, we have a story to tell the nations that shall turn their heart to the right, a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. For the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. We have a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword. We've a message to give to the nations that the Lord who reigneth above has sent his son to save us and show us that God is love. We've a savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow has trod, that all of the world's great peoples may come to the truth of God. So, in contrast to the lost and dying world, the shepherds, they'd heard about Jesus. The shepherds took the message, the only way they knew how, to their contemporaries. They didn't have training. Something happened to them. They took it to their contemporaries. You know, that's the perfect combination, is it not? A knowledge of the good news and the people who need to hear it. That combination, when truly understood and seized upon the hearts of people, produces witnesses. And it's the same for us today. Anyone who knows the good news is authorized to tell it to others, commanded to tell it to others. Everyone who knows Christ, who has become a Christian, can, right, can tell others about it. The first way to celebrate Christmas then is from now on Let's us imitate the shepherds in spreading the word about Jesus. Um, If you're anything like me, I bet that when you were first saved, you were probably a lot more zealous about what had happened than you are now. I disoriented a whole host of people that I knew because I was changed, and I knew for the first time in my life that I was perishing and going to an eternal punishment in hell, and I had been rescued from that. And I had to tell everybody because everybody I knew was in that same condition as well. And I realized they were perishing and going to hell. So, zealous, right? You know, we have the news, right? We have the news of a Savior and we need to be witnesses. Well, the second way that we can celebrate Christmas is to be amazed at it. In verse 18, we read, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The NIB says and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the word wondered, amazed, it's a holy amazement, which really is a proper wonder at those acts of God that are that are beyond our comprehension. You know Luke's observation that those who heard him were amazed is the is the first of his many comments in his gospel of this enthusiastic response to this messianic proclamation. Let's look at a couple of those. Just look um, right there in that same chapter, uh, verse thirty three. Luke two thirty three. And his father and his mother marvelled at what was said about him. Verse thirty seven, same chapter. And all who i'm sorry forty seven and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Look at chapter eight verse twenty five he said to them, "Where's your faith?" And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying at one another, "Who then is this that he commands the winds and the water that they obey him chapter uh, that was eight twenty five um did did we read that one? Got out of order there. 4.22, and all who spoke of him marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So when properly understood, all the acts of God are legitimate grounds for such amazement, aren't they? I mean, think about that. What, What are you amazed at? What about God amazes you? I, I many times ponder the things of God. Just think creation, all right? Standing at the beach, right? We all, I don't know if we all go to the beach, but when we go to the beach, I imagine like me, you stand there and look out, your toes in the in the, uh, water there, looking out over this vastness. I mean, it's big, isn't it? It's real big. And then start to contemplate what's in there. And how many of those things there are? I've read something one time that a teaspoon of pond water magnified has, I can't remember, 10,000 diadems. Well, what is that? Well, it was explained in the article. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope. In a teaspoon, 10,000. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. So what amazes you about God. There might be 10,000 of those in there, but think about God incarnate. That's much, much more amazing. Deity in flesh. How in the world can that be? I mean, really, when you get down to it, how in the world can that be? We can't understand it, but guess what? It's true nevertheless. Why? Because the Bible tells us that it is. And we should be marveling at that. We should be marveling at that. Well, the third way in which we can celebrate Christmas is to ponder it. Verse 19 tells us that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, pondering, of course, is connected with amazement. And it actually, pondering begins with amazement. You're not going to ponder something unless you're amazed by it. But it goes beyond amazement in in an attempt to understand the mystery, in an attempt to dive deeper. It implies diving beneath the surface and it involves an effort to enter into the heart and the counsel of God. This is what we need to do, right? We need to spend time at Christmas thinking over what we know of God and try to understand the ways of God more fully. But let me add this to that thought. And this is where it breaks down for many of us. Pondering is hard work. Right it, It's not just getting into a pious frame of mind. That's what uh, people of the New Testament era were were really good at. you know, the the Pharisees walking around with their tassels and their GoPro looking things on their heads and you know and, and, and just had this mystical look about them that they were holy. That's not what we're talking about, but pondering is work. So it's an attempt to take what you know about God and then by an exercise of the mind to build upon what we know about God. Think what this involved in the case of Mary. First, it involved her memory because we're told that she treasured up all these things. Second, it involved her affections. She treasured up all these things in her heart. Third, it involved her intellect for she treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. So we, we can certainly do that as well, right? We can remember the events when Christ came real to us personally. We can sharpen our affections and indeed, you know what? We must, right? For it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to have our love for the one who is Lord of all to grow cold. We, then we can think about these things and allow God to teach us more about himself. In our society today... There's a word that's not used very often at all. We could do a survey. I don't know how many of y'all would come up with it. The word is muse, muse. When was the last time you used that? When was the last time you said to your spouse, honey, I'm going to go muse on the word of God, right? It, It means to think or meditate in silence. It means to gaze wonderingly at something. It means to think deeply about something. Well, interestingly, in the English language, um, we could, one way to make a statement negative is by adding a prefix to the word, and one negative prefix is the letter a. If we place a in the front of a m mu- uh, in front of muse, what do we get? Amuse. Well, that's what we all want. It's easy to be amused, right? Entertained because it doesn't. Cause us to have to think deeply. So, our time is very poorly spent if we allow the daily affairs of life to eclipse the times of pondering and musing on God's word. You know, in my uh, counseling, honestly, I'm astounded of how many people I ask. You know, what is God teaching you in your time alone with Him and His Word? I'm astounded, and I hate to say this, but I'm astounded that Christians, born again believers, say, "Well, I can't remember the last time I had a quiet time. You know, I got to get up so early, and I got to drive to work, and oh, the Atlanta traffic, and I can't remember." You know, that that's a poor testimony of letting the world creep in and and not pondering and thinking deeply about the things of God. Well, finally, fourthly, our text says that we can celebrate Christmas by glorifying God and praising him. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, we see this throughout scripture as well. The 72 disciples that Jesus sent out when they returned The scripture tells us they returned with joy. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. So it's clear in Luke, as we look through his uh, gospel, that the spirit of doxology is a proper response to to the mighty works of God. And um, well, let's look at a couple of these. Chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. Luke 5, 25 and 26. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home. This is the man that had been healed, right? He was paralyzed. He went home doing what? Glorifying God in amazement. There, there's our wonder. Seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. When was the last time, just think in your own mind, the last time that you responded like that to something that, something that God had done in your life? Look at chapter 7, verse 16. This is after Jesus raises the widow's son, verse 16. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited His people. Chapter 13, verse 13. This is the lady that had been having an, an issue of blood for 12 years, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. And what she do? She glorified God. And there's many others we could look at. So to glorify and praise God is to worship Him, both by words and song. Think about that word, glorify, glory. Don't you just love that word? We we sing glory to God. We worship Him. It's, it's one of the great words of the Greek language, you know. And long ago, when the Greek language was in its infancy, the word from which glory came from meant To have an opinion. And later it came to mean to have a good opinion. And finally, as the Greek language speaks of it today, by an obvious obvious extension, it means a person's true worth. So we honor a person's true worth, which is only another way of saying that we express a proper opinion of them. We, We may be said to be glorifying them when we do that. And that is the sense in which we are to glorify God. So on, with that, acknowledging his, his worth is the essential meaning of worship. It means to acknowledge God's worth To glorify God is to worship him by words. It's in that sense that doxology, we're giving a doxology, which means to express a right opinion of him, verbally express it. And that's what the shepherds did. And we need to imitate them. So we can tell if we're imitating them by attempting to rehearse the attributes of God. What's an attribute? It's a characteristic, right? Well, what are they? Well, so you don't get bogged down, just think of the simple ones that a text like this shows us. One is the birth of Christ itself teaches us of God's love. For God so loved us that he became man in order to die for us. It also teaches of God's power. For an incarnation is beyond our ability. That's true power, right? In the birth, we see God's wisdom displayed. We see His mercy displayed. We see His disposition to use the little things, the humble lowly, to exalt the humble and subdue the proud. We see, for me, the most interesting one here is His grace. You know, have you seen those things and confessed them to others? We can do that in song as well. Don't you just love this time of year musically? Like for me, as I told you before, this is when those songs really came to life, right? That's why we sing carols as so much a part of Christmas. When sung by those who understand them, they're, they're a great means of praise, are they not? I mean, hark the herald angels sing. What do they sing? Glory to the newborn king. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and what? Behold him. Who is that that we're beholding? The king of angels. O come, let us adore him. So if these four means of celebrating Christmas seem right to you, and I hope they do, and if you want to put them into practice, I suggest that instead of starting with verse 17, you start with 18, 19, and 20. Verse 17 says that we're to tell others, what we have seen and heard. But we can't do that effectively until we have first been amazed at Christ's birth, pondered its meaning, and glorified and praised God for it. We can't tell of that which we have not first felt and experienced, right? So we need to, be, we need to begin by wondering. Wondering at the fact that we have not suffered the just punishment for our sins. That's a means of of wondering, is it not? God has loved us so much that he isn't punishing us for his sins. That Jesus came and died for us. That God called us to faith in himself when we were without the hope of salvation. And that we are now God's child. Secure. Forever. Eternally. Secure in his love. So we need to think... I'm sorry, we need to continue thinking about these things, pondering the greatness of them, pondering the great doctrines of the faith, doctrines of the incarnation, doctrines of the atonement, grace, sanctification, heaven. Here's one that I don't ponder often enough that just blows my mind when I do ponder it. Perseverance, right? That's a doctrine of the faith. That's a blessing upon God because you know what? If this Christian thing were up to me, to walk and persevere through the years, do you think I would do it? Ask my wife how many things I've started and not finished. Well, go over to my house and you can see how many things I've started and not finished. I couldn't do this. I couldn't keep doing this, right? I was talking to my mother the other day about Christ and we were having a discussion and I said, Mom, I can't get away from him. He's always there. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm... Every word that comes out of my mouth is, you know what I mean? But I can't escape him. He's always there. Perseverance. That's a doctrine of the work of God in my life day in and day out. And when we ponder these things, when we're amazed at these things, we grow. And that's what it's all about, right? So this Christmas season, glorify and praise God for what you know. Now think about that one for a second. At the basic level, what do you know about God? Sometimes, I have to revert to childlike faith. Is that all right for a 65-year-old man to revert to childlike faith? Yes. I hope so. Right? I bet you if we did a survey of the children right now and asked them, what's a basic level thing about God that you know? I think the resounding answer, number one, would be Jesus loves me. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me he does. Right? So, you know, many times the Lord allows things to come into our lives that distract us. Right? Many times we go through situations, circumstances in life that can absolutely derail us. Right? How do we get our minds off of those and on to the Lord? Well, God is so gracious in His Word, He tells us. And if you can read this, um, Philippians 4, chapter, I mean, chapter 4, verse 5b. This one does it for me. Jesus loves me. That's true. This one does it for me. It says, the Lord is near. Wow. The Lord is near. Think about that. Ponder that and tell me what your situation or circumstance that has just thrown you to the ground, how does that compare to the Lord is near. If the Lord Jesus Christ is near me, then, verse 6, what can I do? Right? I cannot be anxious. And on it goes. And, and the latter verses there, 8, tell us that, think about these things. Whatever is true. What's true? Jesus loves me. The Lord is near. Isn't that wonderful how that works? That's pondering the things of God. Sometimes we need to go backwards in our thinking, to the childlike things of the Lord, of us, to the Lord in our understanding, and then that is going to cause us to sing praises to God. And when you're doing that, what's the next natural reaction? You're going to tell other people about it, right? Usually the spouse is going to be the first one, then the kids, and then the people at work, and then the people at the gas station, and on and on you go. So I just pray this Christmas season that God would give us the grace to do that. If you and I and all other believers who call upon the name of our God would do that, then the whole world would rightly resound with his praise at Christmas time. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, as your children this morning, truly amazed at your goodness, your grace, your mercy, Lord, I pray that we this season could ponder these things and that that would then change our minds from the things of this world to you, which would then cause us to glorify you, to praise you. Lord, I pray that you would burden each and every one of us with the thought that we all know someone who is perishing. And this season is the perfect time when the whole world is aware of the fact that we are celebrating the birth of the only one that can rescue from eternities in punishment. Thank you for opening our eyes to that fact, Lord. We praise you that we can look at the infant And know that our great God has taken care of the biggest burden that we face in life. So Lord, I pray again that as a church, we would all continue to glorify you and to praise you for your mighty works. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.